0: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets. Pastor Christopher Gillespie is manning the buttons and the dials and the levers and the pulleys, lots of ins and outs, a lot of what-have-yous. Yeah, it's perpetual motion. I'm Pastor Donovan Riley, as far as I know, and um, I just kind (laughs) of monologue and uh, plot uh, my evil rebellion from the... uh, Lower level of the uh, behavioral psychology unit <laughs> in the belly of the Higher Things headquarters here in Omaha, Nebraska.
1: That's right.
0: I just wrapped a reference inside of a reference inside of a reference. I know. I didn't have anything to say to it I'm kind of in that mood. Did you know that mm. Omaha, Nebraska is the postal center of the United States? No. Yeah. At one time, I don't know if it's true anymore, but at one time, all unclaimed mail went to Omaha, Nebraska. Really? No. Yeah. Ah, the good old days before yeah. people gave up mail mm. <laughs> and email. What do we do after we give up texting? Do we just sure. install microchips in our uh, inner ear or amygdala and just send thought? Yeah, I don't even think we're going to need microchips. Because we're... Well, just, we're to the point where we're with emo- we're at emojis. So what's past emojis other than just me sending you, like, emotive waves of energy from my frontal lobe? Yeah. Now it's like, like we're re- watching an episode of Black Mirror, right? Right. Where we just kind of vibrate at each other. We don't even talk. It's just different right. frequencies. But anywho, uh, that was a very Twin Peaks rabbit hole. But this mm-hmm. is um, off the beaten path this week. We've kind of... Chosen some of our favorite Lutheran uh, spiritual fathers thus far, but I thought for this episode, we would go a little deep, as I said, and we're going to read Henry Hamann. Henry Haman, H-A-M-A-N-N, Mr. Haman, Senior Haman, if you're uh, the uh, Southern persuasion. <laughs> yeah was a member of the Lutheran Church in Australia. We talked about this in our Saze episode, that Herman Saze uh, ended up after World War II down in Adelaide and started a seminary there and ended up, uh, through his efforts and the efforts of other Lutheran theologians, uniting the Australian Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. And Henry Hamon was a member of the Lutheran Church in Australia. And let's see, he was a pastor for a short amount of time, and then after parish ministry, he went into teaching. And according to his bio, he taught at Concordia College and Seminary in Adelaide and at Luther Seminary, North Adelaide, South Australia. And he also had connections with Concordia Seminaries in St. Louis and Fort Wayne, where he actually received several... Several postgraduate degrees and served as a guest lecturer. He's the author of several commentaries and books on various topics. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Henry. Ha- oh, wait, no, he's dead. Never mind. Oops. We'll do our best. <laughs> That's right. Um, but no, he wrote this book called On Being a Christian. And I think both I and you, Pastor Gillespie, we were made aware of uh, Professor. Reverend Dr. Haman, through our friend and colleague, mm-hmm. Reverend Dr. or Dr. Reverend Reverend Dr. John Pless of Fort Wayne Seminary. He's not a doctor, actually. Isn't he? Oh my. He does not You're have here a here doctor. you here first, folks. Breaking news. <laughs> I know.
1: But he is a reverend, so he can see Run stay that guy the out of town.
0: <laughs> That's right check his credentials probably has some a,
1: honorary doctorate or something but, that's
0: probably yeah. so that's true yeah. uh, but Senior Plus we'll just cut the we'll, we'll split the difference cut to the chase he, Senior Plus recommended this it's called On Being a Christian a Personal Confession as far as I know you have to this is published originally by Northwestern Publishing House of Milwaukee, Wisconsin Hmm. and my edition came out in let's see here what do you got i got 1996 i'm I'm looking at your copy (laughs) but i know it was written earlier than that yeah oh that's right you're looking at my copy um no i think this well i i got a hold of the copy that was published in 1996 and um it is it's it is a personal confession and you have to search around for it you probably have to go on ebay um, I actually found mine on Amazon used it was like you know one of those deals where it was like there's one copy of this book left <laughs> so yeah. I ordered it from Australia um, but it is a wonderful book and yeah you can get it on uh, Amazon MPH classics there we go okay Yep. and we're gonna cut to the section we're gonna cut to the chase guy I keep saying that I must be trying to think if I saw or heard something today with that term and it cut to the chase you ever do that? You hear something and then you, it's, we were mm. discussing this after training the other night, uh, after Muay Thai, that why is it that the songs that you, you don't like are those songs that you know all the lyrics to? And <laughs> yeah. like I was standing, I was waiting across the street. I was uh, coming out of an appointment and I was standing on the street waiting for traffic to clear out so I could get across the street. And out of nowhere, Madonna um, yeah. comes into my head. And yeah. it was um, crazy for you. I hate oh, that really? song. really? I've always hated that song. But for some oh, reason, it's atrocious. I started yeah, seeing it's atrocious. Crazy for You by Madonna, which I think is from the movie Vision Quest. Um, I know, right? There's mm. a deep one. Uh, mm. Matthew Modine, and I think he plays a wrestler who's suppo- he's supposed to be a Native American wrestler, but he's so Caucasian. And uh, he goes on a Vision Quest, of course, and that's <laughs> what makes him a great wrestler. And he suffers from bloody noses. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's such a classic 80s teen coming-of-age movie. And the soundtrack is phenomenal. But anyways, so I'm listening to this Madonna. I'm singing this Madonna. I'm listening, I'm listening to it in my head, the soundtrack to my life. And I'm singing the words, and I'm wondering to myself, one, where did I hear this song? And two, how do, is it possible that I know all the words to a song that I avoid mm. as much as possible? And yet, there's I've been here 10 years, and there's still people at church I don't know their last I mean, name. i make it a practice not to listen to top
1: 40 songs for this very reason. It is interesting. Music has a way of kind of latching into your memory, doesn't
0: it? That's why we sing our confession of faith. That's our theology. Mm -hmm. Our theology Mm -hmm. is our doxology of Christ versus the sermon. (laughs) Unfortunately for Dr. Luther. That's right. It matters what you sing, kids. Unfortunately, Dr. Luther said that at the resurrection, uh, every Christian will be judged for every sermon they've ever heard and every pastor will be judged for every sermon they've ever preached and everyone who heard their sermons. Ouch. Which is it's a little bit of an encouragement and exhortation for your students to take yeah, this preaching go. seriously. Um, but it, it does because at the time of the Reformation, uh, here's how professional I am. At the time of the Reformation, it mattered what your what your preaching was. It mattered what your confession of faith was, because you know what are you? You're no longer uh, affiliated, associated with the Roman Catholic Church. You no longer subscribe to the papacy and its mm-hmm. teachings. Yeah. And so the question becomes, you know, uh, we started out being insulted with this term Lutheran, but now we've embraced the term Lutheran in 1530-31. Now what do we do with this?
1: What yeah. exactly
0: makes a Lutheran a Lutheran? What makes a Lutheran a member of the Catholic faith, big big C Catholic faith? And that's what Haman is really after in this book on being a Christian. You like that? You know, that was so smooth. I just slid right into I, that I was I was watching for it. Effortless. It's, effortless. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's really what this whole this whole book on being a Christian is about. It's about Hamon asking the question, "Why am I a Lutheran? How did mm-hmm. I come to this Lutheran confession of faith?" And again, he's he's writing this in the context of a church in Australia that was two synod bodies for many many years. Doctor Saza goes to Australia, works day and night, literally to to build the seminary to educate the the future pastors of that country to work towards uni- unification of the church into one church body, and to really ask the question, if there's two Lutheran church bodies in Australia, which one is actually making a Lutheran confession, and which one is making, what would we say, hmm. um, not 100% Lutheran confession? Maybe bending, maybe bending the definition of what it means to be a Lutheran a little bit. Yeah. And so, t- uh, in tonight, where we're recording, we're going to go to page one hundred and thirteen. Why be a Lutheran? That is the subheading on page one hundred and thirteen. Hamon asked the question, "Why be a Lutheran?" And since this podcast is called "As Lutheran as It Gets," I thought we might as well just go right to the the thesis of his of his book. Yeah. Why be a Lutheran at all? Why not choose another denomination? Why not be a Taoist? You know, t- take the easy path. Just go with the flow. Um, why not join a nice Christian denomination that uh, encourages you to uh, participate in your salvation, do right. good works, um, strive for the for the prize, right? Yeah. And so Haman begins, and this is this is the concluding. I think this is the concluding. No, nope, it's a couple of paragraph sections before the end of the book, but it's right towards the end of the book, page one thirteen. And so it begins with but. But the Lutheran remains Lutheran, because in the Lutheran Church, that remains true to its confessions. Let me repeat that because it's awkward grammar. The Lutheran remains Lutheran because in the Lutheran Church, that remains true to its confessions. Each one is found a true witness to the marks of the Church. Okay. So that's, that that's really, really then for Hamar, right <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's living in Australia, he still he still clings true to the motherland. Uh-huh. Oh, German construction. Ugh german sentence construction
1: sure, i once
0: sure. translated three paragraphs of Karl bart from his commentary on romans and, and then you quit <laughs> uh yes i did actually that was my i'm like i'm done give me the grade my assignment is complete i translated a page <laughs> of bart it took me days um because the first paragraph was something like literally 18 lines long the whole yeah. paragraph was 18 lines and the verb was at the end of 18 lines of course it was a knockshmare. <laughs> it was horrible to translate Bart, almost as bad as Oswald Bayer. Um, but each one has found a true witness to the marks of the church. So the the true Lutheran confession, or the truth of the Lutheran confession, is that it it clings to the witness, the true witness as Haman calls it, which are the marks of the church. Mm -hmm. and that's really what he's dealing with in the chapter up to this point, because chapter 7 is is entitled, Concerning Me and Other Christians, which sounds an awful lot like something that I would write. (laughs) This is about me and other Christians, chapter 7, end of the book. That's really what this is about. So, the body of Christ, the marks of the church, and then why be a Lutheran? And... What are the marks of the church? Well, there are seven that Dr. Luther lays out in on the Babylonian captivity of the church or on the councils in the church? Which one is it? Uh,
1: Pretty sure it's Babylonian.
0: Yeah, I think it's Babylonian captivity because it's more familiar yeah. and I've read that the most. So I think on the Babylonian right. captivity of the church, Dr. Luther lays out – because again, Dr. Luther is – Basically, reforming what the Roman Catholic teaching is also on what the seven marks of the church are. The Calvinist and Reformed theologians, they changed that list to what they preferred or what they thought the Bible was teaching in regards to what the the seven marks of the church are. And for Dr. Luther, then, the marks of the church are all about, well, the word, the gospel, and the sacraments, essentially, Mm -hmm. that all seven point us back to Christ and the gifts. And that all of the marks of the church then are for converting people to Christ, that that's what the marks are for. The marks, like we talked about in the Nagel episode, that the spiritual gifts, capital S Spiritual Gifts, because of course, little s, big s, that's the test, that the big s spiritual gifts always are evangelical. They're always pointing us to Christ. They're always there for the purpose of conversion of the old Adam to a new man in Christ. That's the purpose of all of the marks of the church. If the marks of the church point us back at ourselves as Christians or at the congregation as the kind of foundation of the, the Christian faith or the, you know, the, the rock-solid confession of the Christian faith, that's when we get in trouble. That's like I teach in Confirmation, that you don't want a sermon that's about Christians. You want a sermon that's confessing Christ for you. Likewise well, – You really don't want a church at all that, that's
1: about, about Christians – you know, no, what, not what really. Who Christians are and what they're doing. As soon as, right. you, as soon as you turn the focus on the congregation and its identity, its behavior, its mm-hmm. uh, its works, right. um, it's, it, it's not any different than focusing on on your own personal works. You're, you're right, just doing exactly. the same thing corporately. Yeah.
0: And that's why when I talk with kids in particular, but just anybody in general, I, I spoke at an LWML retreat this morning on atheism and belief, and beginning in the third article, the Creed, and then working out into the rest of the Creed and the commandments and out of the Creed into the Lord's Prayer and the sacraments, that these are the things that we as Lutherans are historically known for. One, our, our tenacious... Um, well. Adherence, you know, insistence on the gospel being preached, predominating over the preaching of the law, but also the, the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, forgiveness of sins, and so forth. Mm-hmm. That that really is what, what identifies the Lutherans as Lutheran. And that's really what Haman is talking about in Why Be a Lutheran, that the Lutheran confession is so focused on Christ and his gifts, so focused on the gospel and the gifts, that it does differentiate us from any other church body simply by virtue of the fact that we would rather p- make, you know, the liturgy, the, the hymns, the sermon, the Bible study, even our, our piety, our polity, is Christ-focused. Mm-hmm. Because even even our piety in our vocations, for example, is to live as Christ, to die as gain, you know, to live in, in our baptism and use our baptism is to serve our neighbor in love, selfless love, charity to forget ourselves and then discover ourselves in the neighbor, to right. to see God in the neighbor, to see Christ crucified in the neighbor, and that that all comes about through our polity, through our piety. But that's all sacramental piety. Um, Dr. Kenneth Corby, mm-hmm. uh, who was a, a scholar, uh, an expert on Wilhelm Lea, William Leah, said that well, you know, to describe William Leah's piety, it was sacramental piety. Yeah. And to, to and Dr. Saze, you know, Herman Saze said that the, go- the sacraments are the tangible gospel and that that really is Lutheran piety in a nutshell. It's not what is in our hands and our feet. It's not our doing. It's not our mind and what we're thinking or understanding. That our spirituality, capital S spirituality, is in our mouth. Yeah. And, and that it is the body and blood of Christ. The important thing is that
1: it's not just that we have the marks externally or outwardly. Mm-hmm. But that—that that we have the, what the marks contain, right? That exactly. They, they contain Christ. Christ focus. That, that yeah, the forgiveness of sins. It's not just about having baptism, but right. it's actually about confessing uh, what baptism mm-hmm. is, what baptism gives,
0: um, how it joins you to Christ. Well, that's what you talked about in the in the Nagel episode. You know, when you confused first article gifts and third article gifts, you turn things that are not salvific into something or someone that is salvific and of course the first thing that we start with when we want to stand in the place of god is ourselves and then there's ourselves writ large we call that the congregation and you know to to frame it in a different way the the reason that that we have yards for example I know this may seem odd, but stay with me. The reason that I have a fence around my backyard, even though I have an acre and a half of yards, the backyard is fenced in. That's what my children refer to as the dog's yard, so they don't have to clean up dog poop. (laughs) And they play outside the fence. Which was, I thought, a very clever uh, switch on their part to reverse the tables (laughs) on me. (laughs) But that private property is an extension. This is historically what private property is. It's an extension of my personal space. Mm -hmm. And I was having this conversation then with my wife and and some other people that if I see people walk across the back acreage, I don't think anything of them walking, you know, cutting across the back acreage to get to the other side of the road. But if they opened my gate and walked across my backyard inside Uh, the fence, I would go after them because you're trespassing. Now, technically, legally… You're trespassing by walking across my property, wherever you're walking across my property, if I don't want you to. And I, I said, well, if I took down the fence or I extended the fence all the way out to the property line, for example, would that mm-hmm. change my attitude toward how far my personal space extends into the earth? Well, for the old Adam, think about that then. That for the old Adam, how much real estate is enough for the old Adam? And the answer is, well, there's never enough real estate for the old Adam. And so, no matter where we go, even when we go into church, because we're sinners, we try and expand our personal space to cover the entire congregation all the way out into the parking lot. And that's then when we confuse first article gifts with third article gifts. And the congregation or the pastor becomes the means, the instrument of salvation and like you said then baptism of the lord's supper and so forth they just become the external the outward way the sign by which other people then can detect whether or not we're christians which gets really fuzzy then
1: (laughs) yeah well it's right because people will say well that church they, they preach the word of god and you're like well of course they do um, but they don't preach the whole counsel of God in some cases, right. or the gospel doesn't predominate, and exactly. so Christ doesn't predominate in their preaching. So they, they preach the Ten Commandments. That's great, except is it are they preaching them, you know, towards Christ, towards faith, right, um, salvation? So
0: take a moment yeah. to uh, thank uh, one of my personal sponsors, LaCroix Springwater Lime. There it is. <laughs> I just had to figure out a way to open that up without being completely intrusive. But uh, I love Lime LaCroix. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: dropping dropping uh, names like I'm dropping rhymes. Um, oh, you know, and this brings me to my point too, kind of to segue back into the paragraph. I was, we were having this conversation talking about the first commandment and confirmation. And um, we just, I just had confirmation last night. That's why it's fresh in my mind. I asked the, the kids the question, can you worship God at home or on the lake or on top of a mountain or out in the woods? Can you worship God anywhere you want? And the answers I got were yes, no, and maybe. (laughs) The smartest people in the room said, maybe? (laughs) That's right. It was a very very leading answer. I don't know, pastor. You tell us. And I said, no, you can worship God anywhere. Because Mm -hmm. where is God? Who is God? What is God? How do we worship God? And we talked about that. And I said, you can worship God on top of a mountain. You can worship God out in the woods. You can worship God at home on Sunday. uh, When a thousand pound Kodiak bear attacks your camp, Um, you're going to be wondering where God is at because Kodiak Bears don't absolve your sin. Mm -mm. But you can worship God anywhere. And then I followed up with the second question. Can you worship Jesus at home? Can you worship Jesus Christ on a mountain or out in the woods or anywhere you want? And the answer was, well, no. And I said, well, what's the difference between saying I can worship God anywhere I want versus I can worship Jesus anywhere I want? And they said, Mm. because Jesus tells us where he's at baptism, uh-huh. Lord, supper, the gospel. And so, if I want to worship Jesus, I have to go to where Jesus is at, where he tells me he'll be at with his gifts. And
1: right. that's not
0: the mountain, the forest, the lake, home, or any place. Not normally, anyways. And therefore, if I say, can I worship God anywhere, we're in a Romans 1 situation. Sure, everybody knows yeah. there's a God. Everybody worships God in their own way. That's true. right? But that's right. first article stuff. That's natural law stuff. It's like you were pointing out. That's commandment stuff. But it's the commandment that only points a finger at you, excuse me, and accuses you. What we Mm -hmm. need is not a God that is somewhere, or I'm sorry, anywhere. We don't need a God that's anywhere. We need a God that's somewhere. As Dr. Nagel said, a God who is everywhere is as useless as a God who is nowhere. What we (laughs) need is a God who is somewhere. And that's really what makes a Lutheran a Lutheran at the end of the day is, where's Jesus? With his gifts, that's where you'll find all the Lutherans. Right, because whose church is it? Is it God's right. church or is it Christ's church? Exactly. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't the blood and water that come out of my side that made the church the church. Mm-hmm. So why would I be singing or preaching about myself?
1: Mm.
0: So true to its confessions, each one has found a true witness to the marks of the church. Here in this true witness to the the, the church, the true church. Here the gospel is proclaimed in keeping with the word of God. Here, baptism is performed and understood in accordance with the mind of its institutor. (laughs) That's a nice way of saying Jesus wants us to baptize everybody. Here's the real and genuine sacrament of the altar. So, this is what Haman does then. He takes the seven marks, Dr. Luther's seven marks, and brings it down catechetically to the three. Mm -hmm. Gospel, baptism sacrament of the altar, Lord's Supper. Why? Because that's the tangible gospel. That's where Jesus delivers to you everything that he did for you at Calvary. So these marks of the church, the Lutheran wants, keeps, defends, and dies for. These cannot be given up. Hmm. Remember, the Lutheran church in Australia is attempting to reconcile two church bodies. That's right. Dr. Sazi comes out of a German church that did unite the Evangelical uh, Lutheran Church in Germany, the a but they did it in such a way that they used the sacraments as an, a, a cover for not addressing doctrinal differences, not addressing theological differences with other church bodies. And so you had the Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church and the Reformed Protestant Churches and the Presbyterian Church forming one German church because they simply said, well, we all basically believe the same thing about the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. It's symbolic. it's a sign. And therefore, if we all kneel together at the at the rail, that's a sign of our unity. And if we are united around the Lord's table, then all of our theological differences will eventually be settled. which of course is not true. The goal of ecumenical talk, the, the goal of our comparing confessions is to go to the Lord's table. It's not the launch pad, it's the goal. Yeah. And so baptism, the gospel, the sacrament of the altar, uh, cannot be given up. They cannot be compromised on under any circumstances. It's interesting. So,
1: so he doesn't mention the office of the keys, right? Although those are at least technically that's covered by the gospel and in sacrament of the altar too, I suppose mm-hmm. uh, to some degree. The the other three, it was on the councils in the church, by the way. Yeah, okay. Uh, the seven marks. It wasn't Good, Babylonian you. In captivity. Yeah, Darn. and uh, the other. So, so Office of the Keys was the, excuse me, Office of the Keys was the fourth one, and then there was also... um, Stop, before you go on. Yeah.
0: This is a really important point that we should make for our listeners, that for Lutherans, the fourth mark of the church is the Office of the Keys, the office of absolution and the proclamation of the gospel. For the Reformed, the fourth mark of the church is obedience. Yeah, church discipline, right? Church discipline, exactly. And so, notice the difference between an evangelical understanding of the keys and a law, understanding of the keys hmm. the evangelical understanding is the office of the keys is for forgiving sins yes binding sins but that's the alien part of it there are two keys the locking and the opening but the focus right. of the lutherans is predominantly on opening opening the right. focus of the the reform theology is predominantly on closing
1: yeah exclusion
0: and yeah right exactly uh,
1: so, and then also Luther had ordination, which flows out of the gospel yes. again. Yep. And then uh, praise and thanks, of course, mm-hmm. which also is a response to the gospel. And then, um, what was the other one? There's one more. The cross.
0: Oh, the cross. That's right. The bearing of the cross. The, of the mark of the church is carrying the cross, suffering the cross. And that's where Dr. Luther warns the church. He says, beware of, a, of, becoming, beware of becoming wealthy and comfortable and happy, because that's usually a sign that you've abandoned the gospel.
1: <laughs> mm. Right. Because
0: if the cross is laid on you... He says, you know, all the, those are, well, I could give those up, you know, if right. not
1: for the for the first four, right? So the right. word, baptism, sacrament, and the mm-hmm. keys. So. Anyway.
0: so that's And that's why he says, this is something that we'll die for. This is something that we can't give up because, and then he concludes this paragraph with, union with other Christians can only be on the basis of the true marks of the church.
1: So it actually has to be like Marburg Colloquy. Yes, very you know? much so. You discuss and say, what do you mean by the, what does Jesus mean by these words? What do you believe? You
0: know. Well, and we've talked about this before off air, but, you know, if you want to get along with everybody of any religion, just start with the Ten Commandments in the catechism Mm -hmm. because every religion, even people that aren't religious, you know, they hold to a moral law, natural law argument. But if you just want to clear out the room, just open the back of the catechism and go right to the office of the keys, the sacrament, the altar, and baptism. Mm. because, again, Lutherans will clear out a room. It's like we stepped in something dead and walked in with it, stuck to the bottom of our shoe. <laughs> it yeah. is. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's like everybody looking at and going, where is that smell coming from? And what it is, it's the it's the Lutherans insisting that the sacraments are the
1: thing. <laughs> well, it's like Paul said, right? I mean, the law is given because of trespasses, not because we didn't already know it, right? Right, Yeah. yeah.
0: And so that's the thing is that we always end up we, you know, to other Christians, that's why we seem um, almost rabid at times or zealous. Mm. We're like uh, we're like in Mad Max Fury Road where he's strapped to the front of the car, speeding across <laughs> the desert. Like, who's that? That's the Lutherans. <laughs> where are they sure. going? Lord's Supper. <laughs> They're so serious. <laughs> Roaming the wasteland, yeah, attempting kind to of overcome yeah. and conquer false Christianity, wherever we discover it, in the in the exactly. barren wastelands of the post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> But that's the thing for Lutherans is that the true marks of the church, baptism, Lord's Supper, and the Gospel, are where you'll find uniting, unity, union. Hmm. And we don't then, like you pointed out, we don't start from the basis of, well, let's all celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And that's, then, <laughs> then we know we have unity and we can work out our differences later. That's like saying, I hate your personality, but let's get married because I'm sure we can work that out later. Yeah, that doesn't usually work out so well pastorally speaking in my experience no no it doesn't exactly and that's what i'm referring to i thought i could change him well (sighs) i think i told you no no that doesn't work (laughs) you can't it's it's interesting too because his his statement these
1: marks of the church lutheran once keeps defends dies for these cannot be given up i mean that's the
0: that's the confirmation vow right it's also a freedom of a christian
1: okay so he's pulling on that too
0: which we're about to get to. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, in, in the freedom of Christian, Luther, Luther points out, in matters of faith, we, we give up nothing, but in matters of love, we sacrifice everything. That's what it means to say a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all. A Christian is, is also a dutiful slave bound to all. Hmm. Is that it, we are free in matters of love, but we are not free in matters of faith. In the sense of, I cannot compromise my confession of Jesus Christ, but for the sake of love... First article gift stuff. I can sacrifice myself.
1: Yeah, I was listening to last week's Thinking Fellows. Um, it was mm-hmm. with Adam Francisco, and he was talking about yeah. Can't remember the name of the document, but Luther's document that he wrote on you know how a Christian would live um, if the if the Turks took over and how right. they would remain a Christian and um, yeah and be the servant of of the isn't isn't that in his essay on the Turk? Yeah, maybe it is. Um, but anyway, I mean, you you would you would serve your your Muslim overlords, right? As <laughs> as a, a serv—I mean, as a servant, as a as right. a slave, a or a gift citizen or whatever—and mm-hmm. um, then, but he did say, you know, that they would probably not permit the church to exist in the way that it did in Europe, and so then he offers some. I, Doctor Francisco, didn't go into the details, but he offers practical suggestions of how to remain a Christian in the midst of a right. hostile Christian, non-Christian uh, government.
0: Right. Well, and, you know, when you mentioned that, it reminds me of Naaman and and the Israelite slave Mm, girl. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, this little girl obviously is a member of the church, the true church, because she's making a good confession in the face of her slavers, her slave masters. And he is converted by the word Mm, and is baptized in the Jordan River. And cleansed of his leprosy and then asked the question of the prophet, how can I possibly go back to my country when I have to walk with the king, that I support the king on my arm when he walks into the temple, uh, I think of Dagon, um, mm-hmm. to to worship this God who demands human sacrifice? And Elijah's answer is, just worship Yahweh. <laughs> While you're in there, just worship Yahweh because that God that you're, that the king worships, he's not a real God. That's not a real God. That's just a big furnace. That's all it is. Just a big <laughs> furnace, big fireplace. That's all it is. Yeah, that's a lot like Paul's approach to the, you know, living in a town where all the meat had been sacrificed to idols, right? Right. Just just pray over it and eat it. <laughs> it's like, you know, again, if you ever think that you're persecuted, just consider that Naaman has to worship Yahweh in a temple where human sacrifice is taking place. Mm. That's that's an extreme situation at, you know, under any circumstances, that's extreme. And yet, that's the last we hear of Naaman. Yeah. He went home, and and he went home, a faithful believer. And, of course, now you have two people in his house who are members of the true church, the slave girl and himself, and therefore you've got the church. He, you know, that's that's what happens. That's how God works. And so, that's the marks. (laughs) And therefore, that's what we strive for. That's what we're asking the question of, what is your confession regarding the tangible gospel? What do you believe about baptism? What do you confess regarding the Lord's Supper? What do you think the Lord, the gospel is? And then we can talk about whether or not we can, you know, sit down together and sing camp songs, hmm. right? Or if this is Camp Crystal Lake, you know, we'll find out based on your confession. Yeah, and well, and we're very specifically. Do you see that Corey Feldman wants to come back for the Friday the Thirteenth reboot? <laughs> <laughs> no, grasping Str-
1: Stranger Things, but yeah, that's true. Don't need to reboot that. Um it's interesting because we're not talking about any other kind of union. All the kind right. of like like you say, first article unions. Yes, um, you know. So whether you can um, you can be in the same political party or you right. can join the same civic organization. Yeah, um, you know we're talking we're talking well, about religious unity here. We're talking about faith unity.
0: And this is an interesting question, and we'll get to it in the next paragraph. But you know, there's always such a commotion when. A pastor from one denomination goes and and attends like a conference for, you know, example. And I've done this before. I've gone to non-Lutheran congregations to speak, right? And the question is always, did you worship with them? And my Mm. answer is always, of course not. One, because I'm a Lutheran pastor and they're not Lutheran. And two, uh, my understanding of Godestienst of the divine service is like dichotomous to their understanding of worship. They think it's – they're offering up a sacrifice of praise and thanks to God. I believe God comes to us sacramentally and gives us the gifts. And so, one, there's no Lord's Supper. Two, there's no gospel being preached, and therefore, there's no divine service because the deity ain't handing out the gifts. So, not only did I not worship, it would have been impossible for me to worship because Mm. where are the marks? Yeah. If the marks aren't there, how can we possibly worship together? Um, you can call it what you want, but let's get down to definitions. That's kind of the point. Well, and and seeking unity
1: with other Christians isn't a problem. It's no, just doing it doing it on the on the right basis, right? That that the basis is in Christ.
0: Well, the, right? the, the like in this example, the the basis would be pedagogy. It's teaching. You go in mm-hmm. and you teach what Lutherans believe about justification to non Lutherans. And in the process of teaching them about justification, you teach them about the sacraments. And like I've talked about before, there's mm-hmm. two congregations that in South Carolina that were formerly Baptist congregations that through uh, conversations I've had with them and, and some others on baptism and Lord's Supper and giving them the catechism and the Lutheran Confessions to read, they've left the Baptist communion and now they're independent Lutheran churches. Right, Because that's the, the roadblock that these two congregations, these two pastors of these two congregations ran into was, I read some articles by you and other Lutherans, which led me to the catechism of Dr. Martin Luther, and in reading Martin Luther and then coming back around and having you explain it to me, I can no longer stand on what my, you know, my church teaches in regards to believers' baptism, and then later in regards to infant baptism, and then later right. into, in regards to what is actually happening in communion in the Lord's Supper. And the whole congregation was overwhelmed by it to the extent that they actually left. Yeah the Baptist church yeah. it's not something that you can reconcile at the end of the day because we're saying on one side at least this is actually the true body and blood of Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> under the bread and wine it's not a symbol and it's not something that we're doing for God mm. and so we can't possibly worship together when we're literally going different directions right but you don't have to be antagonistic about it no you, of course not because again they, love.
1: They, yeah exactly <laughs>
0: so. you know but I can tell you more let's talk you know, Again, all of the marks of the Christian church are for the purpose of converting people to Christ. Mm. And so when you're talking with a Christian of a different confession, you're not talking to your enemy. You're talking to one for whom Christ died, and you're talking to one who needs the gospel. Yeah. And you can't preach the gospel and point to the gifts if you're busy telling them what a bunch of scumbag, unfaithful Christian, non-Christians they are, or heterodox Christians, or whatever it may be. But rather, in the spirit of gentleness and kindness and love, like Paul says about fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, we talk with our brothers and sisters for who they are. Yeah.
1: Have you ever participated in kind of like an interfaith dialogue where it's not even yeah, like yeah, with other many Christians? times? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I, I've talked with Jews, Reformed Jews. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried to talk with an Orthodox rabbi, but he's also my son's uh, neurologist. And uh, he <laughs> insists on paying attention to my son when we go to doctor's appointments and i'm just you know i'm dropping you want I'm dropping to pick these his brain, really, yeah. strong hands, really strong hints, really strong hints. i'm like dropping little hebrew words just for fun Oh Chesed. he's like what i'm like what did, i did what did, did you say hesed did oh did you want to talk about Chesed? <laughs> and he's just looking you at me like no, no words to kind of
1: push <laughs>
0: yeah exactly yeah like, no it's like just starts reciting the shaman in front of him and see how he reacts but um, <laughs> he's a really cool guy He just want to talk about it with me because he's doing his actual job um so going mm-hmm. into the second paragraph, which kind of is a natural segue, because I love my, my son's neurosurge- neu- neuropsychiatrist, neuropsychologist for that reason. Um, hmm. My son was born with uh, several um, birth defects, and one of them was his cranium didn't close in utero, and so his, part of his brain was outside of his head, the, the spinal fluid, or the brain fluid. So bone grafts in uh, brain surgery. You know, And as a consequence, then he gets this neuropsychiatrist for the rest of his life who just basically makes sure that his brain's not going to explode or kind of get pushed down into his spinal column. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just kind of worked out where uh, I got an Orthodox Jew (laughs) for our neuropsychologist or whatever he is. He's fascinating. But anyways, I digress as I do. So then, it is the spirit and the genius of Lutheranism to be liberal in everything except where the marks of the church are concerned.
1: Hmm.
0: I love that. I like the fact that he used the word liberal because it's, in the context in which he wrote this, exactly, (laughs) it's totally different than our present context, that it is the spirit and the genius of Lutheranism to be liberal, to be free,
1: to be liberated, to be
0: liberated in everything except where baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the Gospel are concerned. Sounds like uh Augsburg Confession. Huh. It does. He he Haman may have been familiar with it just I think know, so. tangentially mm, probably. So that's the genius of Lutheranism that we are actually extremely liberal. <laughs> we are exact you know extremely liberated, free in everything except well, the tangible gospel. Church government, <laughs> liturgy, history, mm-hmm. church traditions, the names and trappings of office and so on. These have only human value and are in the long run indifferent matters finally unimportant oh, no this is probably a good time oh, to no. encourage all of our listeners to go to iTunes and uh, review the podcast for us
1: yeah before the next be positive bit.
0: reviews before the next <laughs> podcast um, if there is a, a sixth um. podcast but uh, yeah go go to iTunes and rate the podcast for us again the the more ratings we get especially positive ratings the higher we get bumped up the podcast list the more uh, exposure we get um, so yeah. more people can be exposed to um, what it's like to engage our Lutheran fathers our spiritual fathers and in keeping with haman's statement here what we are lutherans are saying is we're not lutherans and nobody else is a christian what we're saying is our catechism our confession of faith is a catholic confession hmm, a yeah. big c catholic confession that anybody can subscribe to who is evangelical a who is catholic. evangelical exactly That's right. That's right. and so that's why Holman points this out. Church government, whether you are hierarchical or congregational or a mixture of two of both, your liturgy, whether it's historic or not, your, the history of your, your church body, huh, there's a funny one, church traditions, the names and trappings of office, whether you're called a, a pastor or a priest or a bishop or a presbyter, uh, and so on. These are only of human value. And in the long run, mm. they're indifferent matters so therefore finally finally in in the last judgment in the resurrection they're unimportant yeah because they are all for the sake of the neighbor
1: it's the same approach that luther takes in the explanation of the third commandment right mm-hmm. you know with the sabbath day you know it's really actually the day is kind of unimportant
0: <laughs> it's, exactly
1: it's, exactly yeah. I mean, there's a human value that people know when to come to church, uh, what time, you know. Where. So, be consistent. Yeah, where. Yeah. Um, but it's of human value. Actually, you know, the, the 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 Sabbath
0: is kept every day. Right. Well, it's like, I'm trying to think, it's like a black hole. <laughs> the hmm. Lutheran church is like a black hole on Sunday. And what I mean by that is it sucks everything into it. It's Does time stop too. Is that right? You get Everything the dilation time of stops time? because the dilation oh. of time occurs in the sense that you're in the presence of the Christ. The that this is a foretaste of the wedding feast to come, and that you are there with the whole cloud, all the cloud of witnesses, the whole cloud of witnesses, all the saints, oh. angels, archangels. The speed of light changes. Of is that right? <laughs> exactly. Mm. Everything stops. And the reason that everything is pulled in one direction, liturgically speaking, worship-wise, church-wise, is because everything is being drawn to Christ. Christ, when he is elevated, draws all people to himself, as the prophet says. And so, all men are drawn to him when he is raised up off the earth. And it creates this, not just historical suction, <laughs> right, this event horizon, but rather, mm-hmm. like we, we, we're talking about metaphorically speaking, everything stops, heaven and earth, everything under the earth, angels and archangels, all the company of heaven, everything stops when the word speaks. Mm, right. And so church government, liturgy, history, church traditions, the names, and the tra- all that stuff isn't for Christ's sake. Just like your offerings aren't for God, but rather everything that we do points us to Christ in the end, but that everything we do in the present tense is for the sake of our neighbor, when it comes to these mm-hmm. matters right that the you know again government liturgy all of this is a vehicle for what the marks of the church
1: well would you say when he's uh, his statement that they only have human value we're talking about to the old Adam right I mean, why do we need church government
0: why do we need a liturgy I mean that's that's it's a way well of- it's all law.
1: Yeah, it is. That's all,
0: again, those are first article gifts. That's the overlap, I think, of the first and third article gifts. But even, I mean, like names and
1: trappings of the office, I mean, it, it, it restrains yeah. the old Adam from disrespecting. Right, exactly. You know,
0: the office. Where, where God has put his word. That's right. Or instead yeah. of calling me pastor, you have to call me, I don't know, Senor you know, <laughs> It's like, you, know, you will call me yeah. Steve. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but As long as you're it, consistent, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> you, as long as you're consistent you're not like, well, it's this a new week wave. you shall call me Sven. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's right. It's like, no. We are the Knights of Me. <laughs> 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 oh, goodness. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So that's the purpose, though, is that it is to restrain and curb the old Adam, And therefore, it is a first use of the law kind of stuff. And that's why they're finally unimportant, because uh, who's dead and buried right. is the old Adam, right? Right, exactly. So, they are for the putting of death of the old Adam, so that the new man in Christ may arise and, and walk before Jesus in righteous innocence, innocence and blessedness forever. And so, again, yeah. in the, the liturgy, for example, is a perfect example of where that overlap of first and third article gifts, the two kingdoms, left and right-handed kingdom, overlap at. Because we need, like you said, we need a place to meet. We need to know where we're going to meet, when we're going to meet, how we're going to meet, what we're going to do when we meet. Um, yeah. Those matter. And yet, in the end, none of those things matter. Right. Not in the eschaton, no. Because the new man in Christ is with Christ. He doesn't need any of those things. Again, in right. eschaton, exactly. Every day is a of worship, and there is no so, is no night. We often refer to that as the now and not yet of faith. Mm-hmm.
1: so I've, I've, I've often wondered why… Um, um, our our church practice is, is in a limited kind of way, right? That mm-hmm. that we limit ourselves to like, oh, it has to be an hour long on Sunday morning. Like, if it's an hour yeah. fifteen, that's too much. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, why would you? Why would you? Do that because you're actually restraining not the old Adam. You're actually restraining the uh, the old the Adam new is restraining man, right? the new man in Christ from receiving the Lord's gifts, right. You know, for that extra fifteen minutes or whatever. Right. Exactly. In the eschaton, yeah. who cares about linear time, chronological time?
0: So that's, that's the ridiculous. other point,
1: is that liturgy, history, traditions, names, trappings, office. These things can actually
0: be barriers to faith as well. Right. Exactly. And and are that's yeah. what we were just talking about. Matters of of the marks of the church. They become barriers are mm-hmm. obstacles to us getting to the marks, to the the tangible gospel. Yeah. It's sometimes in a very overt way
1: where they neglect right. to actually deliver the gospel, and other times – um,
0: right, not in a, in his overt way, just kind of in a subversive way, well, and this yeah. is why you know dr Luther says when the, when when Satan says, "You must, you must," and he makes demands, we say, you mm. must we must not, and for the sake of the gospel, we will rebel against what the devil's demands, but I right. think in the same way when the old Adam makes the same demands or becomes an agent of Satan, we again are likewise are bound like like Haman lays out here, that we are bound to even die defending these the true evangelical faith which is located right. in these gifts in this in the again the concrete tangible gospel but in matters of these things we can live with them we can live without them we can give them up if they get in the way we can uh, hold to them if they convert people to christ if they are evangelical right but always asking the same question how does this confess christ and his gifts hmm. and or likewise like dr Nagel used to ask How does this get in the way of Christ being delivered? How does this get in the way of the gifts being delivered? That, he says, is the gospel or the law that we look for where, you know, something is getting in the way of Jesus being delivered for you, that's law. But where Christ is delivered for you, that's gospel. That's right. And that's what you're looking for when you search the scriptures. It's also what you're listening for when you hear a person's confession of faith, whether it's in hymnody, the sermon, prayer. Bible study or invocation. You're just listening for that confession.
1: Right. So, if they say, well, it has to be this way, I mean, the next mm-hmm. question is why, right? Right. Why exactly. does it have to be that way? And if they say, uh, because that's the only
0: way that it can be done, well, <laughs> that's, that's then a problem. You, you are, as a Lutheran, you're, you are duty-bound to not do it that way, <laughs> because it's a, you're, he's, he or she is trying to bind your conscience to separate right. you from But Christ. on the other hand, if they say, this is... For me this
1: is the this is the way that I hear you know the the gospel this is how I, my sins mm-hmm. I, I, my sins are forgiven I, in these words right given and shed for you or yeah, whatever it right. is right and then now now it's not a binding of conscience it's a proclamation of a uh, faith right
0: right it's like that scene at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he's hanging hmm. off the cliff trying to grab the chalice and his dad's like Indy let it go and he's like I can't I can almost reach it it's like when you talk with people about their traditions, they're like they're like Indiana Jones trying to grasp the chalice. Yeah. Because like I can't give, I can't let this go. I can't give up, even if it means my own death. Like even if I'm staring death in the face, I just can't give this up. And I don't, I know, and I've actually had this conversation with people who have said, I know that what I'm saying isn't Christian, mm. but I just can't give this up because my family, or because this means so much to me, or whatever it may be. Mm. It's not an abstract thing. It's very, again, it's very concrete and real. Yeah, this yeah, war we don't like freedom. of faith. We don't like freedom. Oh no, it's a dirty word. It's I the, like- again, I've always said it's the most vulgar word in the entire Bible to the old Adam. Freedom in Christ. Ugh. Who wants freedom but then- in Christ? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we want to be we we don't want to be free in all in these things at least in, in my experience right mm-hmm. church government liturgy history yeah. whatever traditions uh, but we want to be free in how we like approach the sacrament of the altar <laughs> which Christ Christ has bound exactly. us to
0: well it's like my one of my professors said. In, the old Adam loves to to argue in the reverse through the Ten Commandments that in in relation to the first three commandments we want to have complete freedom <laughs> mm-hmm. to to act and choose how we're going to worship and serve God and what God's going to be called and so forth. But in matters of the second table of commandment, we're constantly saying, "Oh, I just I don't have time," or "Oh, you know my schedule. I just I just can't. Uh, <laughs> I just I don't have any freedom." And in, it's quite the opposite. Is that in relation to the first table, only God has true complete freedom and in relation mm-hmm. to the second table uh, that is actually where we only have when well, we have some freedoms but again next time you get the flu and you have violent diarrhea come and talk to me about how much freedom you have to choose ah, that's right <laughs> <laughs> in the end the old adam betrays himself and so in the end finally these are unimportant but over against the gospel and the sacraments the lutheran is unyielding This is so interesting, because Mm. this is really, like I was talking about in regards to the overlap between first and third article gifts, this is really where the most violent church dividing, church ending fights erupt, is this confusion between the things that are there for the sake of my neighbor, for the sake of love of my neighbor, for the sake of charity, and those things that are there for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. There's three things that can never be changed or altered, and the rest, sure, so long as again, it points to Christ and the gospel and the gifts. We and like yet, to, how, to, to to major oh, in the constant. minors, right? yeah. Exactly, we yeah. major in minors. We're always trying to sing off key,
1: mm.
0: and that's the thing: is we, we all demand freedom until we're given freedom, and then we go searching for some dictator, some benevolent dictator, <laughs> to take it away from us and tell us what to do. Yeah, I do this with my kids all the time, where I tell them, "Hey." Go crazy. Do whatever you want. And 10 minutes later, they're arguing with each other. And they come back complaining to me saying, Dad, what do we do? They want to force me to make a choice for them. Because given the freedom to make a choice, four, well, four of my kids are never going to come to a a unified decision. (laughs) At least one's going to be angry. At least. And I know because that's the one who comes and rats out the other three. (laughs) That's right. So over against the gospel and the sacraments, Lutherans are unyielding. Here the Lutheran stands on holy ground. Here the Lutheran stands on holy ground, off with all secular shoes and secular ideals. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: It's like Moses, yeah.
0: It is. I know a a pastor in a a different Lutheran denomination who preaches barefoot for that reason. Really? Yeah, I give him a hard time because he's also a pig farmer. (laughs) Yowzers. I said, that I think the only reason you actually take your shoes off when you come into church is because they're covered with, well, your other vocation. <laughs> I was like, was like, Ken Corby get some flack for wearing cowboy boots, and he's like, cowboy boots my right. shoes. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm at work. Yep. So wear my. Work, That's why I wore work cowboy boots. boots in the pulpit for seven of the ten years I've been here. Because oh, yeah? of that. Because of Ken Corby. Oh yeah. Ken you Hear the Corby, stomping, the heels that. of the boots striking the ground as you're walking around. Oh, I know. Click, clack, click, clack. Oh, it adds gravity. (laughs) So, holy ground. So, get off those secular shoes and get off those secular ideals. There can be no playing around with this material, no denial, no compromise, no giving way, no surrender, because, or for, by these things, each Lutheran lives. And this is the key point, is that this isn't a matter of uh, competing ideas, and this mm. isn't you know the yes or no of my personal taste buds over and against the yes or no of your personal taste buds it's not this kind of Nietzschean struggle for power right or right. this kind of neat, you know Friedrich Nietzsche talking about constructing these true worlds or trying to you know figure out these ideals <clears throat> because we don't like the world in which we you know occupy space that really what we're talking about here is that if you give up baptism the lord's supper and the gospel you're essentially letting go like again going back to the reference to the last crusade you're letting go of dad's hand to plummet into the abyss just so you can grab the cup when it's not the cup that's the thing that saves you it's the blood that's in the cup it's the word and the spirit it's the blood and yet we obsess over the cup as if the cup is the thing or the office is the thing or the title is the thing or the name or the, the, the anything is the thing that isn't. Or the man or the, yeah. Or the man, exactly, or the congregation. <clears throat> Excuse me. That those are secular shoes. Those are secular ideals. And when we play around with those, like he says, we're playing around with uh, live wires. We're playing around with electricity. Yeah. And the, co- and the end result is always the same. You will die.
1: It's not that the Christian church or your Christian congregation or even your pastor isn't above criticism, but the basis of the criticism needs to be faithfulness to the word and
0: sacrament. Yeah. yeah that's why yeah. we confess the creed before the sermon. So you've got a resume, you've got a working resume of what you should expect to hear in the sermon. Your pastor and the congregation are not in that. Well, community of saints. Is it's in not there, a right. question. You know, does does the pastor
1: sing or not, or does he sing on key or not, right? Or
0: whatever. Right. Does he
1: does he does he go by the right? Does names? he have a good speaking does he voice? Wear the right outfits? Yeah, exactly.
0: Does he demand yeah. that we call him Sven? <laughs> I, I love
1: the uh, kind of backhanded compliment I've I've heard before. Um, you know, pastor. You know, you 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 preach correctly and you give us you know the sacraments like you're supposed to. But <laughs> you're like, well, what's the but? Right. Yeah. You know, and that's I not a gospel but. Did, Ever. This is not a gospel, but no, this is it's like, oh, I'm going to be defined by a different set of expectations other than faithfulness right. to, to the marks of the church.
0: Well, and that's the thing. He, he calls the marks of the church the breath of life. Mm. Not just life in an abstract sense, but a reference to the spirit, a reference to Genesis chapter 1, when right. God breathed into the nostril of the man the breath of life, this nefesh, excuse me, the suke <laughs> in, in Greek. That when the water is poured over your head and the words are spoken, the the breath of life is being breathed into you, your your new life in Christ.
1: Mm.
0: That when you, when you receive the body and the blood and you hear the words, that's the breath of life being breathed into you. That's literally, actually the blood of Christ. That is the very life itself being pumped through your veins now. When you hear the gospel, the breath of life is literally breathing on you. It's breathing into your ear holes. And therefore... We can't comp how can you comp- that's like asking me to k- pick which child I want to die. Yeah, right. The answer is, take me instead. Mm-hmm. Because I'd rather not live so that they may live. Whereas with Christ – because that's the heart of paganism, right? That's the heart of unbelief is, I'll sacrifice myself or someone else so that I might, I might live. I'm bargaining with my future. The Christian faith is all about Jesus sacrificing his life so that I may live. Yeah, Big difference. Again, a total change in direction. But so if you, give, if you give up Christ and his sacrifice, then you've given up the life that he's given, right? Exactly. You don't have the breath. You're not breathing. Mm-mm. You're not breathing. And like faith without works is dead, so lungs without breath in them, it makes no sense. God would right. not give us lungs but then not create oxygen. Likewise, he wouldn't create oxygen and then not give us lungs. That the only time that we notice things are out of whack is when we have an asthma attack, for example and our lungs don't function properly, then we're aware of right. oxygen. Then right. we're aware of how little control we have. Same way in the church, then, is that if you want to gain control back over your life from God in particular, or, or in general, and Jesus in particular, the first and the last attack has to be on the sacraments. It has to be on the gospel because that's the life of the church. That's the life of me and you and every baptized Christian. And like Haman says then in the next sentence, take them away and the Lutheran is done. (laughs) The Lutheran is done for, gone, destroyed. Haman has a good way of of dropping these triplets. He's done for, gone, destroyed. I love it. Mm -hmm. But that take away baptism, Lord's Supper and the gospel and every Lutheran is done. Not just done, destroyed. That's yeah. intense. That's like that is putting, intense.
1: So you, you put the font in the closet, and you have a prayer service. You know, right on on Sunday morning, um, yes. led by a layman. Right to pass for the week off. and
0: <laughs> yeah, just or take a take right. a month off, which again is is like breathing. It's like breathing through an oxygen mask and then crimping the hose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess you can call it breathing, but kind of like a little bit more oxygen. <laughs> So mm. take those away and the Lutheran is done for, gone, destroyed. Every man and every woman will fight for his or her life and fight for it desperately. The true Lutheran man or woman fights for his or her life also, the gospel and the sacraments that is. <laughs> nice. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's an AR. That's a that's a just a big cannon blast, man. That's mm. amazing. The gospel and the sacraments are a Lutheran's life. So, going back to the, the opening paragraph, why would we fight for this? Why would we die for this confession? Because we're fighting for our life, literally. We're dying for yeah. our life, literally. Yeah. And the gospel and the sacraments are the breath of life. They are our life. They're the life of the church. And if we are the communion of saints, we are the body of Christ gathered around the body of Christ, then, of course, we can't compromise the matters of the gospel and the sacraments. Because mm-hmm. it is enough for the unity of the church that the gospel be preached in its truth in purity and the sacraments be rightly administered. This is why Philip Melanchthon was so adamant about this and why, by the way, it's such a simple confession in the Augsburg Confession itself. Right. Article 7. It's such a simple confession. And yet, how is it that something so simple we can make so complicated?
1: Yeah. Well, we get kind of caught up in, in institutional things, right? Right. Um, you know… Being a, a pastor without a call at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversation about, um, well, you know, maybe, maybe the church is moving away from full-time ministry as being kind of the norm, yeah, right? right. And, yeah. and, and then I hear from district folks or other officials, well, you know, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to go bivocational and have pastors that also work, you know, secular jobs. And like, well, why not? What's, what's the issue there? Well, you're not going to have as much time. and Okay, true. Mm-hmm. But what's the priority? That you have a pastor who preaches God's Word and administers the sacraments, right?
0: Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Are we talking first article stuff or are we talking third article stuff?
1: Exactly. So he doesn't have as much time to study, and mm-hmm. he doesn't have as much time for this and that. And you're talking about time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, But you have a congregation, and you have the Word right. of God, and you have the sacraments. And maybe some of the other things that we like... Mm-hmm. You know, like regular visitation, and yeah, you know maybe those things aren't quite as easily accomplished or as frequently accomplished. Maybe people who consider themselves homebound then have to find a way to get to church more often too, yeah, you know that's true, so rather than just opt out hmm. for the convenience of having their pastor just make a make a make mm-hmm. a visit, so yeah
0: you know but it is at the heart of this is that question of what is necessary, mhm-. Not only for the unity of the church, but what is necessary, to that, that, what is that thing or things that makes the church the church? What's necessary for the life of the church? Yeah, the what, is of ne- the what, is, what is the breath of life that we are willing to die for? What is ne- necessary? Right. And so, it's the gospel and the sacraments. Only a person who thinks like this is a true Lutheran at heart. Full stop. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Now yeah. see, I don't really have a problem. There there are times when I have a real problem when people talk, you know, use the term true Lutheran or true Christian. <laughs> uh, especially since I started off in Christianity in in the born again crowd and I was yeah. constantly told, you know, we're we're real Christians and then those those over there they they're not real Christians, they're dead orthodox or dead Christians. And I was basically taught to judge people just based on what church they went into on Sunday. Hmm. and so you know, in that sense, obviously, it's very legalistic the way it's applied. Yeah. It's it's derogatory. It's insulting. It's not kind or charitable at all. Right. Here, Hamon is making the argument that a true Lutheran is an evangelical Christian. Is right. again a liberated, a liberal Christian, and not in the political sense of liberal, but liberal in the sense of free in Christ. To one, defend the 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 breath of life. Even at the, excuse me, cost of his own life, mm-hmm. but then in matters of love, to be able to yield everything for the sake of the neighbor. I was thinking about this too as I was driving by. Uh,
1: it was a Presbyterian church. No, it wasn't Presbyterian. It was a it was a Protestant Reformed church, and they had a sign: five hundredth anniversary of the Reformation. I thinking, Oh wait, a minute. they're huh. not Lutherans. Um, you know, they're Reformed, uh, right. but they're acknowledging the the Reformation. Uh, I'm sure they'll talk about Luther, 95 theses, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like um, that's actually a pretty good opportunity if, if, if you knew someone there, if you happen to be friends with the pastor there, or at least had a, a kind of a working relationship with them, where you could actually say, well, here's what Luther, here's what Luther put at the center. Here's the focus. Right. Uh, and uh, that's what, that seems to me that's what Haman's doing with Lutherans of different kind of flavors. <laughs> He's saying, okay, here's yeah. our common ground. This is actually our confession. Yeah, right. This is what we all, um, you know, have claimed to believe or vowed even to uphold. So let's get to this. Let's talk about right. you know, the marks of the church and the other things we. They can come later if they even need to come at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get to the heart of it. And and actually, the heart the heart of the Lutheran confession is really the heart of what what it means to be a Christian. So it's the so. same yeah. basis for that conversation throughout all of the Protestant world and with Roman Catholics or whoever. It's like, we're not going to set aside what we believe, you know, justification by faith or grace alone, in order to kind of accommodate um, uh, you know, the Romans, right? The Roman Catholics. We're, exactly. We're just going to have this fuzzy definition. No, actually, we need to define that very precisely, and that's got to be the basis for our unity if there ever well, is again one. it's
0: like how often do we take for granted that our breathing you know we just take it for granted mm. that that will always breathe that we will never you know have to worry about our breath even though we all know that's not true right and so we behave in our life quite often as if we'll just live forever that we're invulnerable invincible and untouchable mm. especially when mm. we're young and yet until breath is taken from you you know last week just a very kind of elementary example last week i was when i was sparring i got kicked in the kidney mm. and my body was fine but if you've never been kicked in the kidney it hurts <laughs> not as bad as a liver shot a liver shot will drop you to your knees without like your legs just go i'm sorry we're done and your brain's like what happened what happened and your liver's like we're done we're gonna take a break when you get kicked in the kidney it's a slow burn it's like just yeah. having someone like jab you with a stick in the side and just keep driving it in and it's really difficult to breathe because the entire side of your body basically just seizes up and clinches up. And yeah. it's, so it's not that you can't keep fighting. It's that you're having trouble breathing. And so you're trying to create this space between yourself and your opponent so you can just recover and get your breath back. And it's swelling up, right? And. Um, no, it's not. It's just, it's painful. It's, it's when you take a kidney shot or take a liver shot, your body, your sympathetic nervous system goes into overdrive because those are really, it's right. It's, you know, again, it's not your rib cage. It's not entirely protected by your rib cage. It's around kind of the side and the back.
1: Mm -hmm. So when you
0: get kicked or punched there, it really is sensitive. There's a huge nerve cluster there, but it's not fatal. It's not going to knock you out. It just really hurts. And it basically causes, it's like, you know, you almost get knocked, the wind knocked out of you. Mm. And... If you're not trained to handle that or understand what's happening to you, you actually start to hyperventilate. And guys will pass out or get knocked out because they're hyperventilating. Not because they're hurt, but they'll hyperventilate and that leaves them open for other attacks. And to, to draw that analogy into what we're talking about, when we are not equipped to make a confession, when we're not equipped to comprehend, what exactly the the gospel and the sacraments do for us, yeah. we're like that guy who panics when he gets hit in the kidney. When someone mm. challenges our confession, when someone challenges our theology and says, well, why do you believe this about baptism? Or why do you baptize babies? Or mm. yeah. why, you know, those kinds of things. It's because it's the breath of life. And do we panic and try and create space for ourselves by kind of, you know, running backwards to kind of get away from the question so we can, you know, like, I don't really know, I'm panicking. Or do we simply say, well, let's have a conversation about that. Let's engage each other, now that you've raised the question. And that, yeah, it's going to be difficult. It may even be painful at times. But that the ultimate goal for this conversation is for me to, again, point you to Christ and his gifts, not Mm -hmm. to my, you know, the things that you could glorify about me or the things that you could curse or condemn about me or criticize about me. This isn't about me. And my gifts. This is about the gifts, of the breath of life.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it's
0: there to benefit.
1: You're going to defend it in order to benefit your neighbor and their confession that they would right. come to to believe uh, what the scriptures you know, give. Uh, other yeah. times, it's actually because they're attacking the confession, right? Yes, they're actually 100%. seeking to to take it from you to take whatever it is. Um, what you believe of baptism or the sacrament of the altar or, or even, right. even the gospel. They, they don't want you preaching the gospel for fear that maybe somebody might, you know, get away with murder. <laughs>
0: right. Like, that's, yeah. That's, that's the point, is that what we're driving at in this is what Haman is ultimately driving at, which is an evangelical… Apology and evangelical defense of the Catholic faith by Lutherans. Mm. So why be a Lutheran? Because why be a Christian? That's why. Why right. Why cling to the gospel and the sacraments? Why cling to Christ and his cross? Why cling to justification? Why cling to the simul justus et pector? Because that's all of that isn't just this abstract idea, this kind of theology that just floats around in the ether waiting for us to attach some greater meaning to it you know, some dictionary definition that we can all just look up and follow. But rather, this is our actual life. Not in the abstract sense, but in the non-chronological, chirotic, eternal eschaton sense. There we go. I just, pil- just piled on Whoa. word soup there. Oh, I just spit a whole bunch of Scrabble tiles out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was intense. Yeah. And so, yeah, check out On Being a Christian, a personal confession by Henry Hammond. two ends. Henry Hamon and um, I hope you en- you can find the book and I hope you enjoy it as much as we do and uh, come back mm-hmm. next week for a brand new podcast I hope we pass the audition Higher Things thanks you for your support please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org clicking on the support and donating securely through PayPal your gift helps us in our mission to support pastors youth workers and parents daring our church's youth to be Lutheran. HigherThings.org slash support. Give today.